Dissonance Media and the Other Stories presents Step into the abyss of After the Gloaming, a gothic fiction podcast that delves into the depths of human emotion, unyielding love, revenge, internal struggles, and restless souls await you in nine haunting episodes where dread, fear, and rare glimpses of eerie happiness linger. Dare to listen on your favourite podcatcher? After the gloaming beckons, search now, but beware, innocence will be left behind. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. You are listening to Dream. Necrotic Celebrations I stagger with tired legs until all the graveyard's teeth rot, break and crumble and all that is left is gum, cracked and parched like arid desert wastes. The landscape is barren, but for smatterings of springs of shrunken weed. Wind gusts pockets of dirty cloud, and occasionally I am called to mask my eyes and mouth with my elbow crook. The sky hangs grey and thick, and I wonder if another storm will come soon. Though I see no lightning and hear no thunder, I detect something that crawls and swims among the duvet of clouds, but remains ever hidden from its full reveal. At times I spot the shadow, silhouetted in the blanket, at other times a fin or leg. At this juncture I question my own sanity, and wonder that all that I knew of my mind is now gone. Are you mad, Alice? 
I walk until my legs grow weak and my feet grow sore. I walk until my throat shrieks for water, each dry swallow like the scratching of a thousand jagged beetles racing to my stomach. At first, the emptiness and reprieve from impossible creatures and hypnotic foliage was comforting, but now I long once more for ocean. I long for the beaches. I pray for forests and mushrooms and a break in the monotone to bring a palette of colour and wonder. Air with humidity. Jungle with calls of ape and song of bird. I am left with time to think, in an infinite that is truly endless, and I see my rabbit brother's ghost frolicking in the dust clouds, hear his fever dreams in my own adult mind, feel his skin on mine, as though he is all around me and yet nowhere at all. It is as I surrender hope and yield to my knees that the voices inside my head grow. They begin as giggles, double into chuckles, erupt into laughter and taper into guffaws. Strange cackles from passerine throats. Yet it is when I look up from the starved ground that I see them, wandering towards me as though they have always been a part of my world, as though my isolation was yet another dream of its own creation. They appear to me as hideous malformations of humans, goblinesque and torn from the pages of a children's book. Strange, elongated features mark the melted wax of their faces, hands draped to the ground, scoring the earth with knotted and gnarled fingers. Their chest cavities are as pronounced as tarps stretched along a network of tree branches, and their noses could puncture flesh. The wildest feature among the pair wasn't their bulb-like eyes or staggered steps, but the stretch of fleshy fabric that combines them together, holding their heads in place as though they were one. The pair that is one hobbled towards me, eyes fixed and unblinking. At first I believe they have no mouth or lips, until they are close enough to smell the briny stink of their odour, and noticed that what appeared to be a long scar that stretched from chin to ear was, in fact, a primitive mouth, jagged teeth like piranhas jutting across dry, lipless skin. Hello? I ask, my voice a breath that is stolen by the wind. They crane their heads to each other, revolving like broken doors. Their grins widen. They chuckle the throttled choke of a petrol machine struggling to fire. With limping steps, they pivot, one of the twins waving a ghoulish hand to beckon me forward. Before I can ask another question, they scurry at alarming speed, rooster tails of dust flaring in their wake. I run, chasing after this new monstrosity. Though they have two pairs of hands and arms between them, they have somehow coordinated the efforts of their congealed bodies, and each twin whirls their outer arms in a pendulum-like motion that brings to mind gorillas, chimps, and ape. They swing, feet curled to malnourished chest, and it is all I can do to keep to their slipstream. The ground, once barren, soon yields the first indication of ancient broken buildings and determined plant life. Cactuses stretch spindling fingers from the ground, Rocks grow and swell like Russian dolls. And it is as I am breathless, and wondering if my legs will carry me further, that the collaborative creatures rent a blood-curdling screech and launch themselves impossibly into the trees that now surround me. 
One moment they are there, the next they are gone, as though they never were and never will be again. I searched the canopy for my guides, hunting among Jurassic leaves and Cretaceous fronds for signs of their existence. Somewhere above, I fancy that I see the cat-like grin of my cat mother, teeth white against the browns and greens, enlarged like a projective visage that should never be. Where am I? At some point in my feverish sprint, I found myself back in forest. I wonder if my wishes had turned true. The grotesque creature a kind of fairy guide for my wants and needs. Though the forest now surrounding me shares little of the brightness and fancy of my former environment. Here, the trees are twisted and foreboding. Here they stretch across the sky as though caging me from daylight, casting the world in shadows and gloom. Here, I am aware of an incessant buzz, and I fear that the waspish creatures have returned, and that my race for freedom has yet to cease. I hear voices. Far off. Yet, somehow all around me, the voices chatter and chant, as though someone scales and diminishes the volume of the record player. And as I am drawn forward, I find a break in the trees, and see what becomes the most impossible sight of my journey thus far. A long table. A dozen dining chairs. A hollow decorated as though for the celebration of a party that must have passed a hundred years prior. Balloons, now black and brown, that droop and wrinkle like broken egg sacs. Illegible banners, trembling in the wind like dried out shredded meat. Somewhere nearby, cracked and aged music plays through invisible speakers. A strange jig of saxophones, tubers, drums and violin. A tune I've heard once before, a long time ago. Alice! So nice of you to join us. The voice comes from a man glimpsed through the distortions of a funhouse mirror. His body is zigged and zagged, his eyes of different proportions. Atop his crown is a large hat that may once have stood emerald green, but which is now tattered and covered in grime. He beams, motions a pale, waving hand. Make room! Our esteemed guest has arrived at last! Beckoned by our festivities, no doubt. A second voice croaks. I'm startled to find a dishevelled hare sat beside the strange hatter, human-sized and twitching. His fur is matted and mottled, and wrapped around his breast by mere tatters of fabric is a grey waist jacket. You can't deny the rhythm once the rhythm enters your soul. A musical tapeworm, if you will. The Hatter announces, Indeed. Indeed. My gaze settles on a third of their number, and in the seat flanking the Hatter I spy my rabbit brother, pale enough to be assumed a spirit. Atop his head his rabbit ears stand crooked, whiskers bent like lightning rods. His eyes are pale and roomy, his gaze fixed on the cracked china cup nestled in the bosom of his hands, Murky tea sloshing dangerously as he shakes as though wrought with pneumonia. Henry? My rabbit brother makes a startled utterance, eyes dashing to mine. Returns to his tea. The hatter bellows a guffaw. <laughs> Please, Alice, 
Won't you join us? There's plenty to share. We've been waiting for an age, says the hare. For the first time, I notice the strange array of items strewn along the length of the ancient table. To me, it looks as though these creatures have been sat here since the dawn of time. Plates are buried beneath mounds of matter that was once food, but from which now grows bacteria and fungus, and pops miniature clouds of spores around the hollow. Beetles and rats scuttle and mine the mounds, skirting the brittle edges of fine dining crockery, now chipped, cracked and defunct. Bones of former creatures stand like buildings in a toy city, and somewhere in the midst of it all a long tendril that might be a millipede, but which I strongly suspect is not, excavates and writhes. I move towards the vacant seat beside my rabbit brother. The chair feels unsteady in my hands, as though a press of the finger might collapse it to dust. To my surprise, it bears my weight. For you! The hare tosses a loaded plate, which lands with a loud crash before me. The china splinters to jigsaw pieces. Food slops in all directions. Dig in! There's plenty to go around. Tea? The hatter asks already pouring a waterfall of thick sludge from a large pot into a cup laden with holes. The gelatinous mess trickles on the table, stains his lap, but causes no discernible discomfort to his persons. With a swift throw, the cup smashes on top of my strange food pile. Drink up, there's plenty to go around. Plenty to go around, the hare echoes, taking a forkful of rotten meat. My stomach turns as he distends his maw wider than should be possible and chomps down on the fork. When he withdraws the utensil, only the handle remains. I can still hear the chewing of metal on teeth when I turn to my rabbit brother. Henry? It it is you, isn't it? Are you okay? Please, speak to me. My rabbit brother says nothing only shakes and stares vacantly. A quiet one he is, the hatter bellows. Thought it might run in the family. You seem to have a lot of joy inside you. Volume. It's nice. We crave company. Sat here day after day, celebrating an end that never comes. The end, the hare toasts, through lips brimming with masticated offal. The end. The hatter agrees. We began to believe this day would never come. The bringer of all that would break. It's wonderful, really. Makes it all seem worthwhile, after all. I frown, gently sliding my chair away from the table as food crawls to its edge and trails to the forest floor. What end? What are you celebrating? The hare and the hatter look at each other. On the table in front of them, the teapot rattles. Something trapped inside, hunting for escape. Freedom! They reply in sync. Escape! Escape. Release! It's all we ever wanted, the hatter says. It's all we ever desired, the hare adds. It's It's all all we we ever ever needed, they say again in unison. Freedom from what? I ask. What are you escaping? Please, 
I need answers. No more riddles. What's wrong with my brother? The hatter explodes with laughter. The hare follows suit. Even my rabbit brother prickles and chokes. Hand to his mouth. So many questions, the hare says. The hatter nods, wipes black ichor from his running nose. Here's a question for you. Why is a raven like a writing desk? Why is a... I'm sorry, what? The hatter leers, leaning forward on his elbows. They sink into the sludge of plated food. Why is a raven like a writing desk? I meet his eyes, cold and reptilian, for what feels like a lifetime. Before I can offer any answer, both he and the hare erupt into squawks of raucous guffaws that sound like warring metal giants. Their mouths don't move, just hang open at an unnatural angle, like twin horns sounding home sea-bound vessels. And as I clap my hands to my ears, pondering the last of the questions asked, teapot in the centre of the table explodes into a thousand porcelain fragments. They shoot in all directions, a nail bomb dropped in the centre of us all, and although somehow I'm left unscathed, the shrieking has stopped, and I can at last remove my hands from either side of my head. They're dead now, the hare and the hatter, at least. Blossoms of blood paint their clothes and flesh with crimson, their bodies folded as they take an eternal drink of the mush on their plates. The silence is unsettling, made only eerier by two things. The first is my rabbit brother, untouched, unchanged, unaware, staring vapidly ahead into space as though cast from wax. The only sign that he lives is the gentle wobble of his bottom lip, as though tomes of thought threaten to spill from an idle tongue with no mechanism to speak. The second is the tiny creature settled in the place where the teapot had once been. Something that might once have been a mouse, but which now has been mutilated and transformed beyond all natural order. The size of a dinner plate, with too many appendages to count, each tentacle writhing and folding around each other like a pit of endless snakes. Tufts of fur, two mousy ears, and twitching whiskers take the middle of this mass, the only things that seem to make any sense. For reasons unknown, even to myself, I reach across the grab-infested table and take a large spoon in shaking hands. Tentatively, I knock the writhing mass aside where it hits the forest floor with a dull, wet thud and crawls off with a strained squeak. I shudder, eyes drawn to the damp, stained cover of the book that has been hidden inside the teapot. The book swells in size, free of its bindings, and, as it pulls itself open, Reveals yellowed and cracked pages saturated with rough sketchings of creatures and monsters misunderstood. Words written in an ancient script that I cannot decipher. I draw the tome closer to my chest and close the pages. Run a pale finger across the binding. Feel the tingle of static surge through my body. Yes. I have found it. 
This surely must be the item I have been seeking. The only quest I have ever known. In my hands, the Necronomicon. Before I can explore its contents further, activity erupts around me. Stained against a sky, blood-curdled in the breaking of the clouds, dozens upon dozens of night gaunts disturb the air with membranous wings. Calls and shouts from ground level accompany their assault, and as I whirl on the spot I can make out more figures approaching. Men and women in black robes decorated with crude red hearts. My heart leaps. I clutch the Necronomicon tighter and flee this necrotic celebration. Casting a longing look back at my rabbit brother, who appears unperturbed by the invasion. Somehow, deep down in the place where genetics remembers better than living memory, I know that this is not truly him. I know that he will somehow survive. I know that they will protect his kind, as he is one of them, and they are one of him. Still, that doesn't stop the tears of sorrow streaming down my cheeks as my legs pump like pistons and I race into a weaving natural labyrinth of moss and leaf and bough. Snatches of vines whip my face, break my skin, scream tangled snatches of a phrase that will later haunt every nightmare that presents itself in sleep. Why is a raven like a writing desk? And they're so close to me now, snatching at my heels. I imagine hounds comprised of black leather with teeth like bear traps, and it's all I can do to keep running, book tucked beneath my arm. I have no destination in mind, only escape. And it's as I swerve around a trunk the size of houses and disturb a flock of neat, passerine black birds that my mind idles when I think of ravens and desks and writing and... home. And queens and monsters and fetid platters and... Henry, and gaunts, and fire, and tombstones, and feline grins, and tumble, head over heels. Each flailing cartwheel is torture. Each collision with the ground is agony. My body is too young for this punishment. As the world fades and I fall once more down rabbit holes and into colonies, the sound of the encroaching mob of winged and running creatures falling far behind, only their fading shouts for company. It feels like eons before I finally reach my destination. For an indeterminate time that feels like no time at all. I lie there, battered and bruised. I tremble with exhaustion, mumble for mother. And it's only when the world that was blackness begins to glow in an underground cavern of mushrooms and glowing fungi that I begin to realize I've gone nowhere much at all. The circle is complete. I've returned to a cavern I once filled with tears and transformed into an ocean. Run the girth of the world and return to the start. Only, instead of a waiting sea and a monster of mouths, carved into the bed of the rock face, there is now a door. We hope you enjoyed this special Halloween episode of The Other Stories. Find out more about us and join our exclusive community at theotherstories.net. Dream was written by Daniel Wilcox with audio production by Jimmy Horrors. Georgia Cook plays the role of Alice. 
Jimmy Horrors plays the role of Mad Hatter. Erica Ventura plays the role of the March Hare. With theme music provided by Duncan Muggleton and artwork by creativeparameter.com. For a full list of contributors, including contact links and further information, check out the show notes of this episode. Finally, a special thank you to this episode's sponsors. Shadow and Spice Book Box. Quarterly subscription boxes for lovers of fantasy, horror and dark romance. Sign up now at bookboxcanada.com. And Eerie River Publishing, an independent publishing house specialising in dark fantasy and horror. Find out more at eerieriverpublishing.com. The Other Stories is a production of the story studio Hawk and Cleaver, and is brought to you with a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. Don't change it, don't sell it, but by all means, share the heck out of it. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.